Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. On this show over these last few years, I have had the privilege to speak to some incredible people in the Jewish world, people like Rabbi Lord Jonathan, Jonathan Sachs, um, people like Alex Clare. Um, every so often, though, because most of the time we're hearing about other people's stories and other people's, uh, you know, takes on things, um, every, every so often I think it's time to kind of go back and look at our work at Jew in the City, do a review of the work that we're doing. Um, and sometimes I get these requests uh, every now and again. People ask me when I'm going to be speaking more since it is, you know, Jew in the City Speaks. Um, and so I thought that this week was a nice time to sort of refresh and review and sort of talk about the latest things that are going on in the organization, um, some of the topics that are on my mind, um, and kind of how we're, we're developing um, so this week we have a Shabbaton for Project Makom in Highland Park, Edison, um, as well as a parlor meeting, um, let's say Shabbos in Highland Park, Edison. Um, we did, uh, several months ago, a, um, Project Makom married family Shabbaton in Passaic, and now is the chance for our single members to get their turn. Um, for those of you that are not familiar with Project Makom, Jew in the City started off originally as an organization that uses social media to break down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews. Essentially, we show the positive, relevant, meaningful side of Orthodox Judaism in the, in the modern day. Uh, what ended up happening was um, the people in the Jewish world that were essentially living out the stereotypes we were trying to disprove, the people that were living um, under conditions that were dysfunctional, that were unhealthy, that were extreme, um, came to us asking for us to help them find pathways to positive orthodoxy. Um, now, I guess just to clarify, these are people coming from the Haredi and Hasidic community, but it's important to note that this is not the entire Haredi or Hasidic community. We are dealing with the dysfunction um, and unhealthy parts within this world. Um, and the modern Orthodox world has its problems and has its shortcomings, um, but um, what those challenges are, you know, are, are different and can be, you know, met with different responses. Um, the people that uh, were were living under these conditions really came to hate being Jewish, um, and really Judaism uh, was used as a weapon against them. Um, for instance, you know, terrified of God uh, through their their schooling. So, um, from the youngest age, um, these people, the vast majority of our members, um, and at this point in a little over a year of doing intake, we're up to about 125 members, um, and there's no shortage, there's no stopping of people signing up, people being raised in school um, to be terrified of God, um, that they're, you know, they will go to, you know, this horrible place called Gehenna and, you know, burn in the hottest fire they can imagine um, in the, the world to come, and then in this world, having um, Averos connected to you know, punishments or bad things happening, really this idea that, you know, reward and punishment is so clear cut that we understand God's ways, even though we don't have prophecy, we don't know why bad things happen to good people. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know, but these people um, are being taught in their schools, um, these really awful ideas, uh, things that are actually us, you know, it says, in the Gemara um, by Eov, when it talks about um, what Job experienced, that his friends blamed him and told him that he was to blame for the bad things uh, befalling him. The Gemara says that we can't say such things, that that's onus devarim, those are, you know, hurtful words. But this is happening. Um, and I think 
for me, one of the biggest realizations of meeting the people who are now in Project Makom is that this is certainly not the majority of this world. The majority of, of this world is happy and healthy and, and living good lives. But I would say it's not a small minority. And I think um, my understanding before was that it was just a few bad apples, a line that people like to say. And I, th- I see it now as something more systematic um, and that is that's really heartbreaking and challenging. Um, and it means that the way that we you know respond to things that you in the city, even the content that we create at you in the city, we have to really keep in mind, are we speaking about all Orthodox Jews or Orthodox Jews that are you know living according to to Judaism, according to Jewish law, according to, to Jewish thought? Um, one uh, piece of content that we just created recently that you should go check out now if you haven't seen it yet. Um, we recently partnered with Renewal, um, and this is an organization that matches um, people that need kidneys with people that um, are giving kidneys to complete strangers. Um, and we showed the story of a Ger Hasid donating his kidney to a complete stranger who happens to not be Orthodox. Um, and, you know, having met Renewal and see the work that they do, first of all, I learned that Orthodox Jews are donating kidneys um, at a much larger rate than the rest of the entire country. Um, Orthodox Jews, while we were filming this video, just literally in passing in um, the waiting room before the recipient and donor. And by the way, the, the video is called A Match Made in Heaven. You can see it right now on JewInTheCity.com. You can see A Match Made in Heaven on YouTube. Um, and we've gotten picked up in some um, in some news outlets like the Jerusalem Post, which you know it's such a, a much more positive take on the Hasidic community than we normally see. Um, and so, um, what I heard in the waiting room as we were filming this video was that although Orthodox Jews make up only 0.2 percent of the general population in the U.S., they are donating 15 percent of the the kidneys, living altruistic donations. So that means people that are alive that are donating their kidneys to complete strangers. And of the Orthodox Jews, I didn't get a statistic, but overwhelmingly, the majority of them are Hasidim. So um, in terms of what the Hasidic community um, can accomplish when things are going as they're meant to, it's phenomenal. It's beyond um, but at the same time, we have to be, you know, sort of open and um, understand where the problems lie as well. Um, and I think, you know, there's a bit of a fear to air our dirty laundry. There's a bit of a fear to, you know, admit that we have problems. My Rav is a big believer that, um, you know, sort of the biggest Kadesh Hashem that we can make is admitting that we were wrong. And, you know, owning up to our shortcomings and, you know, really attempting to improve. This is the the notion of tshuva. Um, And, you know, we should not be above that and we should not paint perfect, you know, history as far as ourselves. We should not paint our communities as perfect today. Um, We can only improve um, and truly be the Kiddush Hashem that we're meant to be when when we live up to Torah values. Um, And this brings me to something that um, came to my attention um, this week, I first wrote an article sort of um, calling out the secular world. Um, you know, all of this Me Too stuff that's been in the news. Um, uh, you know, it, it's so clear to me that the Jewish traditional approach to intimacy, to how women are viewed, is so much more pro-women than anything that we're seeing in the secular world. 
yes, um, it can be abused. Yes, it can be. One of the saddest things that, that I've seen in Project Mahom is that um, people that are raised on the same Torah that I, you know, I wasn't raised on it, but I was raised on uh, cheeseburgers. But once I started learning Torah, um, people that were raised on the same Torah that I came to learn about in my uh, teens and adulthood um, had these beautiful ideas twisted around. So just to give you an example, um, the idea that um, Derech Eretz is, comes before Torah, Derech Eretz Kadmala Torah, that we're supposed to be a mensch before you can, you know, really have the Torah enter you, um, is something that I learned in seminary, and it seemed like this beautiful idea that menschlichkeit comes before Yiddishkeit. Um, the people of Project Malcolm said that they learned this too, but it was not, it didn't apply to other people. It was something that the teachers would scream at them if they were misbehaving. So it would be like, like you get in line. It doesn't apply to me as the teacher. I'm above this rule, but for you, you can't, you know, have the Torah get into you until you get your derechards together, mister. Um, Another, um, you know, thing that was that I learned in seminary that was beautiful, which the Project Michael people said was twisted for them, um, is this idea of Neville Barisha Torah that Ramban says this on um, Kadoshim Tiyu. Um, I'm so proud of myself, like just pulling out these uh, Rambans, you know, um, in the middle, just out of the air, um, on the air, um, you know, hashtag I'm a Balchuva. Um, and the idea that we learned in seminary is that Torah is not going to be able to specify every last thing that could ever possibly be disgusting. Um, just live with Kedusha, just live your life in a, in a holy way, in a moral way, in a Yashar way. Um, and, and so for me, this is really just, um, you know, a, a lesson to always have the higher standards for myself as a human being, as a, a person that fears God, that, you know, tries to do good in the world. Um, so the people in Project Malcolm also learned this idea, but when they learned it, that something could be novel, but it's Torah, disgusting with the Torah permission, they said it's like nail polish. Like, technically, nail polish has never been made prohibited anywhere. It's never been ostered anywhere, but it's clearly a disgusting thing that the Torah wouldn't want if... Um, the Torah had known about nail polish back when the Torah was given. So um, it's really a little bit of a, a learning curve for me to see how you could have the same Torah um, and look at it with a corrupt lens and have it turn out, <laughs> you apply it and it turns into something different. Um, so that's something I'm thinking a whole lot about, not just you know educating people uh, about Torah, but educating people to... I don't know, see it through a clear lens that comes out on the other side with something beautiful. So um, one thing that I would say that the Torah itself does better than the secular world is treatment of women. Now, that's not to say there's no challenging parts in the Torah when it comes to women. Um, getting, you know, Jewish divorce is a challenge. Uh, the fact that women can't be witnesses um, is, you know, it's hard to understand. It, we certainly, and it's something that I think I used to do more of, try to explain away challenging things. And I don't think we help anyone by doing that. I think we have to own up to the challenges and admit when things are more difficult. Um, and just sort of understand that that's part of our package, that the complete package might have parts that challenge us just like a marriage. Um, but, you know, if we want the complete package to last, um, then we have to take it as a package. So uh, while it's not to say that there aren't challenging um, parts of the Torah when it comes to women, um, when it comes to intimacy and sort of the view of women just in general, I think that um, – we're so far ahead than even where our modern, quote-unquote, progressive, quote-unquote, feminist times are. 
um, I interviewed um, a couple weeks ago um, Rebetzin and Yoetzet Halacha, Lisa Septimus, about um, sort of the consent, the idea of consent in Jewish law. Um, It was a really fascinating conversation that we have, which you can check out if you missed. Um, And she said basically, and this was really mind-blowing for me, that um, there's two different ways that the Gemara talk about sex, that um, if it's just, you know, um, an act of bodies, an act of body parts, it's shachav, it's just laying down. But if it's an act of love in, in, you know, in a marriage, um, in an act of intimacy, it's yada, it's a chance to get to know someone. And what she was essentially saying is that this idea of consent of a guy actually knowing, you know, is the woman interested? Is his wife interested? Is she on the same page with him? You have to actually take the time and take the care to invest in the person that you're with to understand what their signals are, their spoken and unspoken signals of, you know, what they're interested in. So um, this seems just so um, really <laughs> so on point with what we're talking about right now with this whole Me Too movement. Um, and then something that just came up in the news over the last few days that I think is also part of this conversation and we have to be aware of how it's involved. Um, it's the Olympics right now and there's an Olympic figure skater. Um, and I don't want to mention too much about who she is because I think it's so disrespectful to like who she is as a person and an athlete, but she had a, the quote unquote wardrobe malfunction, um, which is something that basically never happens to men. Um, and not only does the world not really care if it would happen to men because the world is not clamoring to get a view of men, no offense to men, it's just the world. Um, men just generally get more fabric than women do men's clothing is not so much on the edge that if it slips for a moment, you know, uh, we'll get a view. Um, and this is, if you haven't seen our video yet, the skin gap. See, this is all like sort of a chazara. We're going back to all the different uh, things we've done over the years. If you haven't seen the skin gap, which can be found at theskingap.com or searching Jew in the City for the skin gap, we made a video basically showing that there is a discrepancy um, between men and women, a gender inequality like the wage gap, but in this one, it is the amount of skin that is expected to be shown in the same social setting. Um, and we illustrate this by um, putting a man and a woman in each other's clothing. We did ask a Shiloh first, since there were perhaps some issues of cross-dressing, but we were told for educational purposes it was okay. Um, and so because of the skin gap, men basically never have wardrobe malfunctions, but this female Olympic skater is a woman. And so She wore what women generally wear, which is less clothing, and she had a wardrobe malfunction. And I, every time I logged into my Yahoo Mail, I was reminded again, you know, ooh, you know, her her wardrobe malfunctioned, and it was really, you know, almost taunting the reader just to take a look, take a peek, what, you know, what came out, what showed, how long did, and it's so uh, disrespectful because... Here, this woman trained for years. She honed a craft. She um, she dedicated years and years of her life to not be remembered as literally a pair of boobs. Um, she, by this moment happening and the news media, and I, I did different searches for the word wardrobe malfunction, Olympics, wardrobe malfunction, and her name. I got like 760,000 um, hits under Google News. At one point, I got like over 2 million. The news media just can't get enough of this. Like what a voyeuristic and sensationalistic story. But it's so misogynistic and it's so disrespectful to her as a human being because who cares? And to be reduced to literally a pair of organs after 
Um, she spent years honing a craft and really putting her heart and soul into this. She wanted to be remembered for her, her great athleticism and her talent. And instead, um, this will probably be this will be the footnote next to her name for the rest of her life now, which is pretty tragic. Um, and I compared this to the Jewish approach to how we treat women and that people have misunderstandings about Sneas. Um, and again, this is big time Project Makom. Um, Project Makom women will tell me that for them, Sneas was about, you know, they felt controlled. Um, they didn't have a choice. And I tell them, you know, quite opposite. Um, nobody cares what I wear. I choose to cover my hair. I choose to cover my body. Um, if I went to the beach tomorrow um, and posted pictures of myself, people might be surprised because, you know, what my career has been connected to, but my kids wouldn't get kicked out of school. Um, neighbors wouldn't stop inviting us for Shabbos. Like our, our lives would continue. People might be a little bit surprised again, because um, I have built a career around um, a commitment to halacha, but um, I wouldn't suffer socially. And, and I know women in my community that have made different choices over the years, covering more and then covering less, and they just continue as they were. And honestly, I think that's how mitzvahs have to be. I think mitzvahs have to be a self-directed and self-guided process. We can't live in fear of someone else controlling us or punishing us if we don't live up to their standards because ultimately this is our relationship with God. And if we act because we're afraid of someone else, then that's not where our fear is supposed to be. Our fear is supposed to be of of God, not of man. Um, and so... Um, so what I was explaining was that although people... Um, have learned, unfortunately, that um, Tzniyas is about being controlled or um, Tzniyas is about preventing men from sin, sort of always making it about the man. Yes, men do have um, a responsibility uh, to not sin, but it's on them to not look and for them to keep their eyes in appropriate places and their minds in appropriate places. Women certainly should try to partner with men and walk around in dignified and respectful ways, but to put all the sin on the woman, and this is, and she lives to basically um, remove her Herself from the man's path that like sort of her greatest job is to disappear. Um, it's a really sick thought. And again, um, sort of is removing um, humanity um, from a woman, similar to, you know, what was done with um, this uh, ice skating episode. Um, but what I said, essentially what Sneas is meant to be, what it's supposed to be, is just to make the body not a distraction. That's really ultimately the goal of Tzniyas, not to be controlled, not to prevent the ever sinful man from sinning, but just for a woman to be considered as a human being without the distraction of her body, that she should be considered for her ideas, for her talents, for her character, um, and not for how hot or not hot her body is. Um, and so I, I wrote an article on Jew in the City about this that really, you know, the, the rest of the world has to learn from us. Um, and just as I was about to post it, I became aware of a problem that is going on in the Jewish world. Um, I think it's more prevalent in the right-wing circles. Um, and that is in the Shidduch scene, um, in some more insular communities. Um, women are actually being asked about their chest size by Shadchanim. Um, and this is, I heard this from one person, um, and then I spoke to um, several uh, women I know in a similar community, and they admitted to me quite sadly, uh, quite pathetically, that this is not uncommon, that 
the shadchan will ask for a picture and, you know, and if you don't give a picture that gives enough information, then they will ask for another type of picture so they can ascertain, um, you know, kind of what, what goods the, the girl has to offer. Um, and this, and the excuse is that, well, the boy's mother wants to know. Um, and it's, it's really so horrifying because thankfully still, um, our our books, our theories, our morals on paper um, are better than um, you know a, a world where um, years of work becomes someone's clickbait. Um, but in practice, um, if this is what we're being reduced to, at least part of the community, um, then we're we're really not doing better. Um, and I'm not sure what the purpose of living a Torah observant life is if you're not internalizing these values and if you're not using them to become a better person and a finer person and a kinder person. Um, and as I said at the beginning, um, the greatest Kiddush Hashem that we can make is, um, you know, doing tshuva, taking an honest look at ourselves. And this is obviously an uncomfortable topic. Um, it's, you know, perhaps it's one of the reasons why this has continued for so long is because who's exactly talking about this and what platform is uh, a topic like this going to be spoken about? Because again, it's an intimate matter. It's, um, it's embarrassing, but um, I think that we, I, I felt obligated to sort of publicize this and really speak to the community. Um, this is not okay. And um, I was horrified to find out that this was not just a one-off um, instance where one shadchan, you know, did something inappropriate, and maybe we could call the one shadchan and, you know, tell them not to do this, but um, there were numerous uh, people who experienced this, and I will tell you, um, the people that I spoke to whose uh, kids experienced this, some of their kids are not religious now today either, um, and so for me, it just sort of seems like a very clear, a clear picture of the things that cause the negative headlines that uh, make us, uh, you know, disliked by non-Orthodox Jews. These are the same things that make us disliked by Orthodox Jews and drive Orthodox Jews away. And it's not to minimize the fact that, you know, faith is not always easy and it's not to minimize the fact that there can be questions that it might be challenging to answer. But um, when we're operating in a way that is so not what we're supposed to be as as from Jews. Um, it, it is no wonder that people would be turned off. Um, and so kind of getting back to a little bit of a broader um, conversation about, you know, where we are as an organization, we're really trying to organize ourselves uh, more than ever Um we're continuing to do our content creation. We're continuing to do our Project Malcolm programming, Shabbatones, events, support groups. But we're also sort of going into the, the basics of how our organization operates to really get as structured and streamlined as possible because um, our job it just keeps getting bigger. Um, and what we are working on in terms of a mission statement to try to connect um, the work of Jew in the City and the work of Project Makom. Um, it sounds something like this. This is where we have to finalize it with our next board meeting, but it's something like um, making positive and meaningful orthodoxy known and accessible to all Jews. Um, that when I started this organization, or really just a movement 10 years ago, because it wasn't an organization then, 
um, I thought that it was the non-Orthodox Jews that need to be, um, you know, educated and need to see all the positive things in the Orthodox Jewish community and in, you know, a traditional Jewish approach that they had missed. Um, and now quite shockingly and horrifyingly, I am discovering that um, the education is lacking um, and just even some of the basic understandings of, um, I don't know, who we are, why we're here, why this matters is missing for Orthodox Jews. Um, I mentioned Rabbi Sachs earlier when I spoke to him. And one of the questions that really was on my mind was, like, how is this okay if we have one side of, you know, the world moving to more extremism in terms of religion and then the other side moving towards, you know, sort of throwing away God? Where is the center? Where is that group of people that lives in engaged and thinking and really moral life? And he said to me that... Um, the Jews have always been a minority um, and don't be afraid to be in a minority. That's how it's always been, you know, and that was a little bit of a comforting feeling. Um, but we, we don't want to be too much of a minority. We really here at Jew in the city and project Malcolm would like to um, make this information accessible and known to all Jews. And the way that we do this is by presenting these, you know, sort of balanced and thinking and moral and relevant um, ideas um, on social media, on these devices that everybody can't wait to touch and keep checking because we live addicted. Um, and if you have a, an addiction problem, if you haven't seen our video that we made with the Maccabees a few months ago, The Sound of Silence, we show how the modern day sound of silence is a world of people just tapping on their devices and ignoring each other. And that when we have the sound of Shabbos, um, it's actually couples and families and human beings interacting in a, a human way. Um, so what we we take advantage of your addiction of Jew in the city, sorry. Um, and so we can educate the masses through these channels. Um, and then ultimately, we want to build the bridges to get people um, to that lifestyle, to that information, if they so choose it. Um, when I was earlier on in my career, I was more sort of part of the formal Kiruv movement. Um, I, I would say I was more immature. I would say that I sort of had this goal of like, how many people are we making religious today? Um, and with maturity um, and a, a very thoughtful and smart husband, I thank God grew out of that. And I don't have this idea anymore of, you know, it's our job to make people religious. I feel very much that it's our job to educate people, to educate old Jews as to what is there and what could be there, and then and to build the bridges for them if they desire that information that we gave them. And so um, on the, the non-Orthodox side for people that, you know, have not learned too much and have not, you know, observed too many Jewish rituals, or observances, if they want more, if they learn about it in the city, um, we have sort of a small referral program that, you know, we will send people to places, you know, local places, Chabad and NCSYs and Partners in Torah, although frankly, it seems like most people that get that spark find the resources of themselves. There's so many resources for, for the beginner side of things. And I feel very privileged to meet people when I speak all over the world who tell me that their life and, you know, sometimes their family's lives have been changed because they got the information first on our channel. So then they just went to Google and found the local resources and, and made the changes they wanted to make. On the other side, on the Project Malcolm side, when people have been raised with unhealthy Judaism, dysfunctional Judaism, um, extreme, corrupt, um, those channels don't exist. 
um, to to take them to something healthier. Um, and we're talking about people, by and large, who have experienced some serious trauma um, at the hands of religion. And so that is what we are building um, from scratch, really brick by brick, by learning about these people, by learning uh, about their journey, um, by being in touch with mental health professionals um, and, you know, a variety of people in Chinuch. Um, and we are trying to figure out this journey. Um, and so that is... Um, that's a little bit of an update and a review of where we are as an organization, um, Jew in the City, and our, uh, you know, um, initiative project, Makom. Um, and we, we really appreciate your listening, you know, each week and your, you know, following us on our online channels um, and definitely your support um, financially, whatever you can do, because um, we have a lot of work to do. Um, but we will continue to be here, God willing, um, and your support will make that possible. Um, and we look forward to uh, speaking to you on a, a more typical show next week where you can find us at the same time, same place. Bye-bye. Bye.